0: We're gonna continue this morning our rocket ride through uh, Romans. We're gonna look at uh, chapter four, verses one through 25. Uh, That text will be uh, on the screens behind me and uh, also it's printed uh, in the bulletin. If I sound congested this morning, that's because I am. I'm not uh, faking that. I've taken two COVID tests this week and they're both negative, if that means anything. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the early pollen season has been early in my nose, so um, um, that's why I have. I might stick a cough drop in my mouth, and I might drink some water this morning. But uh, just uh, I am aware that I am congested. Just so you know, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, before I read that, let me pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we uh, rejoice in the fact that forever you have been about the business of saving us. Forever you have been about the business of being gracious to your people. Forever you have been about the business of planning and plotting and carrying out Uh, our salvation at great cost to yourself. And so I pray today that you would help us in that, that you would give us confidence, uh, that you would uh, cause us to turn away from any other uh, thing that we would put our hope in and that we would trust you. Would you do that in us? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Romans 4, 1 to 25, this is God's word, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who shares the faith of Abraham was the father of us of us all as it is written i have made you the father of many nations and the presence of the god in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So you know genealogy is a big thing now. I don't know if you know that twenty uh, three and me and uh uh, all these DNA tests you can take, Ancestry.com. Everybody's trying to get in touch with uh, their forebears, their uh, generations past. Uh, Marty's done some some work on that. She did some stuff with uh, Ancestry.com until I realized it was a subscription service, and we were paying for it every month. And I was like, it's important. It's not that important. But um, And so... Um, One of the things that we like to do on Sunday nights is uh, on PBS here locally, there's a show by Henry Louis Gates Jr. called Finding Your Roots, and they they have famous people on there and uh, they do all this work to find out uh, who their ancestors were and where they came from and that kind of stuff. And uh, just as a as a sidelight, you know, I think we were paying twelve ninety five a month for ancestry.com. The average person on finding your roots, it costs fifty thousand dollars for them to do what they do to find out about their background. So we spend a lot less than that, but um, the thing the thing that is amazing to me about that is is people find out all kinds of stuff about their family background, about their family tree, and one of the things that they often say is, "Oh, this explains something about me or explains something about uh, my family," or they'll say, "You know, this is a part of me." This is a part of who I am. You know, all, all these people that came before their struggles and triumphs, their joys, their sorrows, their sins, their, all of those things play into who we are. So what Paul's doing here and building this argument about what it means that we are justified by faith, that God takes our faith, and he credits to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To build that argument, he wants us now to look back and to consider our father Abraham, uh, to consider what his life was like, what the promise of God to him was like, and how it worked itself out in his life, and how that also applies now to us, right? And so... Uh, that's a it's, it's a great thing for us to do. It's an important thing for us to do is to look back and to think about this. One of the things that we do around here regularly is, you know, in, at the end of the summer, we typically nominate uh, officers, and I do six months of officer training. And one of the th- questions that we often ask at the very beginning of officer training as we're working through the material is, how were people in the Old Testament made right before God? Now, the default that people often go to with that is, well, there's all that law, there's all that ritual, there's all that sacrifice, there's all that stuff. In the Old Testament, obviously, they had to do that stuff to get God to be kind to them, to get God to be gracious to them, right? And so, no, we say just, you know, Abraham, David, Samuel, all of them are uh, uh, justified before God the same way you and I are, by taking God at his word, by believing, by entrusting ourselves to the work and the promise of God. It's always been that way, uh, uh, because that is the way uh, the economy of God works in making sinners righteous in giving people who were God's enemies, as he says here, the ungodly, making us a part of his family and giving us the righteous standing before God, the righteous standing that even Jesus Christ has. He gives that uh, to us, right? So let's dig in here just a little bit. It's 25 verses. We can't spend uh, Uh, much time on any part of this, but what I I want us to do is to get the argument here and apply it uh, to our lives. Now, one thing to note is that the word translated as count or credited is used 10 times in these uh, 25 verses of scripture so what what he wants us to get here and what he wants us to understand is that what God has done in Christ the work that the life that Jesus lived the death that he died what he earned for us gets credited to our account and he wants us to see that 10 times right and the and and he also wants us to understand that by believing what God says, believing the promise of God, and trusting ourselves into what God uh, has done for us is not the thing that it's it's not something that credits. It's not a work. It's not a thing that we do. We don't we don't get righteous. Uh, because God's sitting there waiting on us to believe, and then we do the work of believing, and suddenly uh, it results in our righteousness. And that faith itself is not a form of righteousness. Faith, taking God at his word, is the means whereby we receive what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to understand this. Now I know this, that for many of you, you uh, you hear this and you think, "Wow, we talk about this every stinking week, right? Why don't you talk about something else?" <laughs> Listen, I, I, uh, I'll be I'll be I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I think I talk about this every week. Lord, what good's it doing, right? You know, uh, but the fact of the matter is, what we rest in here, and the thing that's so important for us uh, to grapple with, and the thing that slips off our hearts, and the thing that we so quickly forget, is the fact is that we have this thing in Jesus Christ that we can't ever lose, We have this righteousness, we have this standing, we have this access to God the Father, and we cannot ever lose that. Uh, The promise of God can never be denied or null or void. And there's so much in our lives that we tend to chase after and tend to, to run after these things that we tend to build our lives on that crumble. And in fact, sometimes God in his mercy makes them crumble around us so that what we will see and what we will cling to is the only thing that won't crumble. And the only thing that won't crumble for us is the reality of who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done for us, and the righteousness and the standing that we have before God. And so in a world where things are coming and going and up and down and, and difficult and you're afraid to watch the news, you're afraid to talk to people because you don't know what these conversations are going to end up being like, the, the fact of the matter is this stands firm and it stands true. The promise of God that in Jesus Christ, you have his righteousness, you have his status, And every promise of God to you in Jesus Christ is yes and amen cannot ever go away. It can't crumble. It is the thing that defines every one of us. Next slide. And the crazy thing about uh, this, this text, when God uses this language to credit this righteousness to Abraham, as we talked about last week, you know, Abraham asked God the question after he says, the scriptures tell us that uh, Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. God makes this great promise to him and Abraham says to him, how can I know? How can I know that this is really going to happen? So it's not that, so when Paul says that Abraham's faith never wavered, it's not that Abraham wasn't uh, like a robot, that he was a robot and that he just did this and he just moved out in it and never had any doubt or any concern like that. No, he knew that God would keep his promise. He clung to that even as he struggled, even as he sinned, even as he failed, he knew that the the uh uh, the hope of his life, the hope of his legacy, the promise of God was the thing that would sustain him even as he failed, even as life was hard, even as he looked at his 100-year-old body and his his wife's 90-year-old body. That's what he clung to, right? So this uh, God treats Abraham as if he was living a righteous life, uh, but the fact of the matter is the righteousness that Abraham had, the standing that he had, was something that God gave to him, something that God uh, achieved on his behalf. This righteousness is alien to him. It's nothing, anything that he did, it's nothing, anything that he earned, right? Um, He was not in any way doing certain things. And that's why Paul goes to great pains to say that Abraham was justified. He took God at his word before he was circumcised before he obeyed God's command to place that seal upon his body, he was already justified, right? He didn't, he didn't do that to get justified. So uh, the question is, so does one have right standing before God because he has worked for it or because God gives it, right? This is so important. And this, uh, this is the thing that we have to rest in. Gifts are uh, are so hard for us to to understand, right? And especially when it comes as a gift from God. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, what we think about this is is that God gives us this gift because there's something inherent in us that uh, uh, deserves this righteousness. There's something in us that we've done that makes it so God could do this. And the opposite is true. Sometimes we think there's something that we've done that would prevent us from receiving God's blessing. We sing this hymn uh, around here often, right? Where we say, you know, run to God, run to Jesus, take him at his word. Don't ignore a fitness, fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Venture on him wholly. Sometimes we think that there's some level of fitness that we must achieve to be able to be certain that we have this righteousness in Christ. But what Paul wants us to understand is, no, God's done this. Take God at His word. Um, fitness is a big thing, right? it's a It's a standard that uh, we carry around. My son is a captain in the army, and uh, he's in a school right now where, I think it's a, I, I don't really know exactly what it is. It's some acronym. They're all letters, you know, and he's gives me a dozen things with letters in it all the time. And he was telling me um, that there are 135 guys in this class. They're all captains. And um, he's. I said, well, what's the class like? And he's like, well, I'm looking around, and there's a bunch of fat tankers in here. Now, fat tankers are guys that are in the army and they drive tanks. And so they you know, he's an infantry officer and you can be a terrible soldier. You can be a problem in his unit. You can do all those kinds of things. But as long as you are fit, as long as you're in shape, he loves you. But the second you get an ounce of fat around your waist, he is like, you are unfit. You aren't cutting it. I reject you, right? He has the standard. He got to this duty station a little early, and so he was looking for something to do. So they put him in charge of all these physical training tests. And he's like, I can't wait to flunk these guys, you know, right? <laughs> well, the the, 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 the the fact of the matter is, that's the way we tend to look at God, Right? That we need to achieve some level of fitness before he will receive us. But in fact, the recognition is from first to last, we have no fitness except that the only fitness that we have is that we have this need. And the only way that need can be met is in and through the work that Jesus has done for us, Right? Because what we, if, if that's not the case, then what we are actually saying is, is that we want to put God into our debt. Then in other words, that what we have done uh, or uh, is somehow or other earns this thing from God. And so as he uses the language here, you know, you, a gift is different from working for wages. When you work your week and at the end of the week you go to get your paycheck, if your boss doesn't pay you, he owes you that debt, Right? Uh, you, You have put him in your debt. We could never put God in our debt, right? There's no way in the world that the God who owns us, who created us, the God who loves us, the God who is for us, would ever owe us anything, right? And so if we confuse the gospel with somehow or other, we put ourselves in this position to get God's blessing of grace to us, we're actually saying God owes us. And what Paul is saying is, no, God's the giver. You can't put God in debt to yourself, right? So uh, what Abraham believed was, is that God will keep his promise of a descendant, that Abraham and Sarah would have a child, and through that child, the world would be blessed. Well, we believe and what one of Abraham's descendants achieved for us. That's the content of our faith, right? And so through many trials and failures, Abraham clung to the hope that this God keeps his promises. Abraham believed that God is able to do what he promised. Now, here's a problem for many of us. is because one of the things that we often think about the promise of God is wrong. You know that. I think we do that uh, that very that very often, right? Sometimes when we read and we pray about the great things that God has done for us, we think that what this means is is that somehow or other, if God loves me and He's for me, my life's going to be pain free. Or if God loves me and he's for me, these things shouldn't be happening in my life. Or this suffering shouldn't come my way. Or this difficult relationship or this difficult thing shouldn't come my way. Because what we tend to think is that what the gospel promises to us is life that will be easy. Or suffering that will be mitigated. Or maybe even no suffering in our lives. But that's not what God promised. God's promised to be with us in the suffering because, after all, he's the suffering servant. God has promised to sustain us in the midst of our struggle with sin and, and the world and the flesh and the devil because he's overcome that on our behalf. But the big promise that Paul wants us uh, to see here is that he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, right? He gives life to the dead. I think it's just a profound thing that he ends this by reminding us that uh, this is for us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. The big promise that we have, you think it was hard for Abraham to believe at 99 he was going to have a baby with a 90-year-old wife? Do you think that was hard? What do you think her obstetrician said when she went to to her her obstetrician and said, hey, I want to have a baby at 90? What do you you think? It's ludicrous, right? Ludicrous. I was... uh, Uh, thinking uh, uh, today as I was standing outside greeting folks and looking around, you know, there's uh, uh, something poignant about um, funerals this time of year. And I don't, you know, I I don't know if it's because it's cold and gray and everything looks dead, you know, there's no leaves on the trees and Uh, You know, people bring flowers to the cemetery and they wilt because it's so cold and uh, bitter. Uh, But there's just something about that. And there's just something about standing there under that funeral director's tent and looking these people in the eye and telling them that the promise of God is that one day this person they loved will walk out of that grave. Now is that any crazier to say that than it is for the 90 year old to get pregnant and have a baby? you see the, the 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 fact is, what we do here, and what what God is saying to us is that the promise of God to us in Jesus Christ, of eternal life, of resurrection from the dead, of righteousness, of standing before Him, uh, is uh, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, and in fact. It is what we bank on. It is what we count on. It is what defines us. Because without this promise of God, literally, we are dead. There is no hope, right? There can be no boasting in anything but Jesus. We boast in all sorts of things, right? Uh, That we're better than our brothers and sisters, or we haven't done that, or we haven't done this. Uh, or that we boast in where we come from, or where we went to school, or what our achievements are. But before God's bar of justice, there's no boasting except in what God has done for us in Christ. Secondly, there can be no ultimate hope other uh, than in the promise of God, right? Everything else in this life, every relationship in this life, everything else— that we try to seek to root our identity in will disappoint us. But the one thing that never ever changes is God's declaration of us, to us, about us, that we stand justified before him in Jesus Christ. And so what do we need to remember uh, today? Next slide. That this reality of what Paul is talking about here is objective. It doesn't depend on how you're feeling It doesn't depend on how you're doing. It doesn't depend on whether you're having a good day or a good week or a bad week. Uh, If you have the righteousness of Christ by entrusting yourself to what he has done for you, what he says about you, uh, it's always true. It's objectively true. Whether your grip on it is that great or not, God's grip on you is always strong. Secondly, it's personal. And this is the thing that I think is uh, profound about this for me this morning is, what he says here is, uh, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, for Steve, for Kevin, for all of us, right? It will be counted to us, us, the people in this room, who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses—those things you did, those those uh, guilt-ridden things that come over your conscience for your trespasses—and raised for our justification. Right. This is an objective truth that that has profound personal implications and applications for our life, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not our shortcomings, not the deepest possible pain we can experience because God has raised Jesus from the dead. This tells us that just as with Abraham, God has determined to justify us, to be a God to us and for us, and God is with us in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's what sets us apart. That is what uh, changes our whole orientation. That's what gives us confidence to stand before our God and confess our sins. That's what gives us confidence to stand before one another and proclaim the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of faith. You see, because God has made this promise, and God's character is such that If he makes a promise to you, brothers and sisters, you better believe it's going to come through. Um, Bear with me. Um, uh, Yesterday would have been my dad's 93rd birthday. Uh, And, um, you know, one of the things, one of the ways that you come to grips with the fact that the righteousness that is ours in Christ uh, is so powerful and profound is when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and so the week before my dad actually died, my cousin, who was who's a Baptist music minister, and I were there talking to my dad to try to plan his funeral. And if you've never done that with a living person who's who's getting ready to die to plan their funeral, you should do that. It is... Uh, there's something really rich about it. And my dad was making jokes about uh, things. And he looked at my cousin and he said, I want you to sing this hymn. And it was a hymn uh, I had never sung before. It, it, when I read the lyrics to it, it reads to me like a third grader wrote it. My faith has found a resting place. From guilt my soul is freed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. And then the chorus. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, the objective truth, and that he died for me, the personal truth, right? Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. Like I said, sounds like a Third grader wrote this, right? My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God, salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed, for me, his life he gave. That's it, folks. That's what we bank on. That's the promise of God, that's the source of our joy. And that's the source today of our hope. Trust him. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, Let's confess our sins uh, together. Eternal Father, you are good beyond all thought, but I am wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to you, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it, grant that through the tears of repentance I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. Amen. us your peace, grant us your peace. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. These words of institution tell us something remarkable about that first Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. You know, one of the things that we uh, tend to think about uh, uh, the, the Lord's Supper is that it was some sort of orderly and, you know, kind of beautiful painting that we see. It was a mess. There was squabbling and fighting. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, he knew he was going to be denied. He knew that his disciples didn't know what was going on, and yet he is focused and intent on keeping the promise of God. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, betrayed by one of his own, Jesus gives to us this meal, this sacrament, this thing to hold in our hands, to taste with our mouths, to know the reality of the salvation that he lived, died, and rose again to give to us. And so as we come to him today, perhaps you feel like uh, a particular uh, guilt or a particular sin or a particular difficulty. None of this catches Jesus by surprise. And none of this prevents him from preaching grace to you, from making a place for you at his table. Turn from your sin Turn from your fear and your anxiety and your need to justify yourself and trust him. See what he did and entrust yourself to him who raises the dead. If that's your hope today, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus welcomes you uh, to taste and see uh, his goodness. Uh, As the elders come down front uh, this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. Underneath each cup is a gluten-free wafer. If you are unable to come down front, uh, raise your hand and we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Once everybody uh, has been uh, served... Uh, We'll eat and drink together.